1879, the famous American author Mark Twain went on a visit to Germany. When he came to Germany, one of the cities he visited was Munich. And in Munich, he went for a special visit, what was known in German as a Leichenhuis. A Leiche refers to a corpse. Leichenhuis means a corpse house. What's a corpse house? And he wrote about this account. He described what he saw. It's a big, prominent building that had many corpses lying in a row, older people, younger people, and they were just waiting there. So each bed surrounded by flowers, and they were waiting there. Each person who had passed away had around their finger a string that if they were to remove the string, it would ring a bell. And there was an attendant who was on staff who was hired there to respond if anyone rings the bell. Why was this happening? Why was there such a thing as a corpse house? Well, it wasn't only in Munich that this was happening. You had all over Central Europe at the time, in Germany and other surrounding countries, they had these types of, uh, uh, these types of uh, institutions. That's because starting the late 1700s, about 100 years earlier, there was a big fear that gripped most of Western society. And that was a fear that perhaps were burying people too early when they are not yet dead. And there were two sides to this fear. One was popular and the other was academic. On the popular side, there was the stories that the newspapers are writing. At this time, newspapers are becoming very common in the late 1700s. And you always want a good story because you want to sell papers. And so a story about a woman in New Zealand who reported, or a man in Northern England who reported that he saw details, graphic stories about someone walking by a cemetery and heard cries in the middle of the night. They dug up, open a grave, and they found this or that. These types of stories became very common. People who were said to have been buried when they were alive. That was on the popular side, the newspapers. On the academic side, you had the scientists, the doctors, who said, although for many centuries we've been diagnosing death in a particular way, cessation of pulse and of uh, respiration, but uh, we don't know if this is true. We don't know if this is uh, accurate. We are afraid that it is possible that uh, we misdiagnose someone for dead when really they have just fainted. And so therefore we ourselves were not sure. And these two, uh, these two things, the popular movement, the popular stories, and the academic uh, movement led to changes in this regard. And one of those changes was that in Germany it became very normal at the time to keep a body above ground for multiple days until decomposition started to set in. When the body starts decomposing, then obviously this person has died, and then they would go and proceed to do their, uh, their burial. And that's why Twain went to see and saw this uh, corpse house, this Leichenhuis. This was one of many that was there because of this uh, reality that was going on at that time. But this wasn't the only thing. You know, many of these countries have documentation of their uh, trademark. So if someone applied for a trademark in the 1800s, we could go and we could see exactly what he was trying to trademark. During this period in the 1800s, in Western Europe, as well as the United States of America, there are many trademarks that revolve around this specific fear. What do I mean by that? There are coffins that have been trademarked that had escape hatches, or coffins that had bells outside of them, or things like that. Much of this, if you're interested in reading about this topic, I read this book about 10 years ago by an author named Jan Bondenson. It's called Buried Alive. 
and he documents he documents this whole story of both in terms of the newspapers and the science and the science and the doctors and the things that they wanted to say. And this background is necessary to understand the halachic issues that surfaced uh, during the late 1700s that we're going to discuss in today's uh, shir. So we're going to begin with the Yaivitz. The Yaivitz is Yaakov ben Svi. He passed away in 1776. Easy year to remember. It's the year that America declared independence. Okay. The Yaivitz lived in Altena, which is today is outside uh, is a province of a, a, an area within Hamburg. And uh, during his lifetime, the Yaivitz published many svarim. One of the svarim he published during his lifetime was called She'ilas Yaivitz, which is his chuvis. However, he only published two volumes of these chuvis. In an edition that was printed just a few years ago, in 2017, there was an edition, a new edition of She'ilas Yaivitz that came out that had a third volume. What was this third volume? This third volume consisted of new letters and shuvas that they found from the Yavits that weren't included in the Sheilis Yavits. They collected it from various and sundry places where they found these different letters and they put it uh, in, uh, they put it in this, uh, this third volume. So what we're going to read now comes from this third volume. Where did they find these letters? We'll get to that later. We'll talk about it later. So let's read a little. Sheilis Yavits, it's Chele Gimel, Simen Memdalid, and... It says as follows. Baruch Hashem, Altana, Chof, Hei, Sivan, Tof, Kuf, Lamed, Beis. That is the year 1772. The Yavitz writes, Tshuva liyedidenu, our friend, Ha'aluf. Then it says, Hakuf, which I assume means either, I don't, Hakatsin. Probably means Hakatsin, which was a common term that was used in those days for a Chashva person. Ha'tayrani, Talmud Chacham, Hamaskil. A, an understanding person, Okay, may God bless him and protect him. Okay, who is this Moshe? We're going to uh, get there soon. So there's this letter to this, uh, uh, to this Reb Moshe. And the Yavitz writes as well, You know, you know, you know that I've had to deal with a question that the Jewish community in Schwerin, which is in the area of Mecklenburg in Germany, I had to deal with this issue over there. Um, Schwerin is a, uh, is a city that's about 70 miles east of Hamburg. What was the issue? He goes on to say that the Tsar, who is known as the Duke of Mecklenburg, uh, made Exera, his Lushen is, Lishanois Minig Bnei Yisrael, the Duke of Mecklenburg in 1772 said that Jews have to change how they do burial going against the teachings of Chazal. And I had to get involved in this area. I had to get involved in this. What happened? With the historical context that I gave you before, in 1772, the Duke of Mecklenburg said, no one could bury we can't bury people just because the doctor diagnosed someone or people diagnosed them as they had died. No. Everyone has to keep their bo the bodies above ground for three days. Now, this was not, the Jews were not included in this, and the Jews were free to continue doing what they wanted. But in, in the, around Nisan time, in 1772, he included Jews as well. He said, Jews have to do this as well. Some sources say that there was a convert who converted to Christianity who went to him and said, that it isn't true, even according to Judaism, you don't have to bury right away, you can wait for three days, it's only a chumra al-pi and when he heard that, he said that he's passing this gzeira, and this is what he did. So what did the community do? 
the community turned to the Yaivetz for help. So before we see the Hemshech story of what happened, the Yaivetz getting involved in the story and who this other Moshe is who's getting involved in the story as well, let's understand the nature of the problem over here. Why is this against Chazal? What is the nature of the Isu? So the Mishnah in Sanhedrin says as follows. There's this concept in Halacha that we learn about in this week's parsha and Parshas Kiseitzeh, that when someone is executed by the Bezdin, they're hung. There's hanging. However, the hanging is, does not apply. The Chachamim say the hanging does not apply to anyone executed by a Bezdin. Only two types of people. The Magadev, the person who blasphemes the Ebishter, and Oivet Avedizara, they're hung. And this uh, um, uh, hanging is only for a few minutes. You put them up, mamish for a minute, it isn't that they sit there for hours and days. And if the person remained hanging overnight, then over then we have violated a Shenamar, because it says in this week's parasha, don't leave the corpse on the gallows, you must bury it. Okay. Then the Mishnah continues and says, and not only this person executed by the Bezdin has this din, any person who leaves a corpse unburied overnight has been over, has violated a loisase. And um, the Pasuk is only talking about someone executed by Bezdin. But I think this, the, what's happening here is a Kavachimer. Madach, someone executed by Bezdin, still we see that there's immediate burial, you're not allowed to leave it overnight, even though that person was once a Russia. How much more so for the average? That's the way the Kabbalah of the way Chazal understand this, and therefore Loisal and Nivlasai applies to everyone. Derech Agav, a parenthesis, is an interesting letter from the Rebbe Rashab, printed in the Zigris Kodesh from the year 1907. If you look at the letter, you'll see it's addressed, El Nichbedei HaChevra Kedisha. It's addressed to the Chevra Kedisha. It's a very short letter. What does this letter say? It talks about this Isser that we just learned about. The letter says, libi, shamati ayoyim, I've been distressed by hearing today, Asher Halanisem Es Hameis Rahman Al-Islam, that you guys, the Chevra Kedisha and Lubavitch, allowed a dead person to remain overnight without burial. Now this is a Sunday. As it becomes clear from the letter, the person had passed away before Shabbos. And really the person should have been buried on Friday. And now it's already Sunday morning and the person isn't buried yet. And the Rebbe Hashem goes on to say, although it is true that the Israel Loisalin goes on the, the family. In other words, when someone's executed by Bezdin, so the Chiyov's on the Bezdin, that the Bezdin should bury right away. But when it's a regular Yid, who is the Chiyov to make sure the person is buried right away? The Chiyov is on the family. Says that Rashab, that's only true when the family does burials. But now we live in a, in a time when families don't do burials and they appoint the Hevra Kadisha to do it. So now the Chiyov of Loisalin, just like it used to be on the family, now it's on the Hevra Kadisha, he says. And then he goes on to say in the next paragraph, I'm very distressed and worried that this happened while I am the president of the Hevra Kadisha. The Rebbe Rashab, as other Rabbeim, were, it was a very. Uh, um, prestigious position in Eastern Europe to be the Gaba of the Hever Kedisha, which meant the president of the Hever Kedisha. The Rebbe Rashab had this role of the Lubavitch Hever Kedisha, and he said, this happened under my watch. This causes me a lot of pain. And he's like, Halavaya would have known earlier, because if I knew Maitre Shabbos, I would have told you guys to bury him right after Abdullah. And so now you guys have to bury him. You have to ask Mechila. He even goes on in this letter to say that, like, if, some, if something happens in our community, negative, know that it's because of this. That's, that's a serious letter 
that Rebbe Rashab is saying. So you see him taking this Isser, Loi Salin, very, very seriously. Okay, so now we understand what the issue here is. You didn't have a command, Loi Salin. Here the guy is saying you have to do Loi Salin for, three, for perhaps three nights because you have to leave the person over ground for three days. So what happened? The Yaivitz is writing this letter to Rebbe Moshe. And he's basically writing as follows, and I'll summarize. He says, the Kehila in Shwerin, they wrote to me, and they said, get involved. Get involved. You're a Rav. Write to the Duke. Explain that according to Yiddishkeit, this is a non-starter. This is going to help us out. It seems that they already had conversations with the Duke, and it, that was the issue. The Duke didn't trust them that it's really contrary to Judaism. So all they needed to do is establish it that way. So they turned to the Yavitz. The Yavitz then was toward the end of his life. This is in 1772. The Yavitz passes away four years later, and he lived a long life, so he's already an, an, older, uh, an older Jew, very established as a, as a God of Adar. They're turning to him. The Yavitz continues writing in this letter, I told them, you want me to get involved over here? I'm the wrong guy to get involved. He says, first of all, I'm not a good speaker. Second of all, I don't know how to speak German. I don't know a, a German. So therefore... I'm, I'm the wrong person to get involved. So therefore, I told them to turn to you, to the Moshe. I'm writing to the Moshe. They, they should talk to you. Because you, his lashon is, you have a Yad Vashem, you, gotta, you know how to deal with kings and with princes. And you know how to speak German. And you know how to explain things well. So I told them they should go to you, to the Moshe. However, they told me, no, no, no. We need you. We want you. You're the Yavitz. We need you to, um, to write something. I said, you know something? All right. So I wrote something. He wrote an essay, obviously in Lashon HaKodesh. And he says, he wrote Kamoi Boygin. A Boygin is a booklet of multiple pages of, on this issue. But he says he was such a rush that he wrote it quickly. He gave it to the community. They went running back to, their, uh, to Mecklenburg. And, uh, and he doesn't have it. But he wants for his archive. He wants a copy of the material that he wrote. So he writes to them in Shverin. He says, by the way, I gave you that booklet. Can I please, can you send it back to me? I'd love to have it for my archives. Well, maybe one day I'll print it or something. They're ignoring it. They're not answering anything. So, you know, he's getting, he's, get, he's getting anxious. He said, the Yavetz wants his kunters. So he figured he had told them to go to this Reb Moshe. So, and he kind of knew that they were going to go to him also. So he figured, I'll write to this Reb Moshe. And maybe Reb Moshe got a copy. So I'm going to write to Reb Moshe. And this is the letter he's writing to this Reb Moshe saying, did you get a copy? If you did, please, please, please send it to me so I could have this. This whole story, really interesting story, begins with this very, very uh, in interesting, innocent letter where he's just saying, can I have a copy of the kuntras that I wrote? Okay, this Reb Moshe responds back. All of this material is printed in this uh, many letters, back, a number of letters back and forth in this Chela Gimel, this new edition. This Reb Moshe responds back and says, I had no clue they even spoke to you, and I never saw that you wrote anything on this. They came to me, they said, can you please help out? And I helped them. What did I do? And he goes on to write to the Yavitz that what he did is as follows. He wrote a letter, a petition, in German, in high German, to the Duke, that says that according to Judaism, we bury right away, and this is very, very important. You're worried about premature? You know what? The Kehillah is going to make a takana, no burying without an extra, expert physician diagnosing death. And, 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 uh, and that's going to be, uh, and, and, and this is what he wrote, and he wrote it for them. But your kuntus, Yavit, I never saw your kuntus. In fact, I'd love to see what you wrote. Um, I, I like you, we have a good relationship. I'm, I'm very curious to see uh, what you uh, wrote. But I didn't see uh, your thing. But then once he's writing to the Yavit, he says, in addition to this petition, 
that I gave them to bring to the Duke, I also wrote them a letter separately. And in this letter, I basically said, I basically said that what happens if the Duke refuses and says, no, 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 three days, what then? So I, I wrote arguments that they should accept it, that they should go along with it. And now I'm writing to you, Yaivetz, I want to know if you agree with my arguments. And so he laid out his arguments to the Yaivetz, why if the Duke says, nope, you got to keep the body overground for three days, why? It's, it's not contrary to Yiddishkeit. So let's see. Now we're going to turn to the letter that he wrote to the community. And let's see the sources that this Ramosha uses in order to say why it's not the end of the world to leave the body above ground for, uh, for, uh, for three days. So first of all, he started with the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch in Yeridea says as follows. It is forbidden to leave a body unburied for, for an evening. Elohim Cain, however, this law is not an absolute law. You have exceptions. What's the exceptions? Exception is something we all experience today in our lives because we see that people pass away and the, bur the burials are a day or two later. Why is that okay? Because the Shulchan Aruch said it's okay. Why? Elohim Cain, helinoi lichvoidoi. Lahavi loi, odem vetachrichim oimekoinere. So Shulchan Aruch gives a few examples. Really, this already in the Mishnah has this. If you, what, you need time for, to bring a coffin. You need time to bring shrouds. You need time. They used to have a minig of having women who would uh, sing uh, songs at funerals. You need to bring them. You want to bring uh, family members to the funeral. Or to have people uh, coming from other towns and villages. So then you're allowed to delay. So comes along to Moshe and says, let's, let's, let's you put on our thinking caps for a second. If Taita says that for a shroud and for an arden, or to have an extra few people at the Leviah, you're allowed to delay... The burial, so how much more so for Pikuach Nefesh? How much more so that maybe the guy's alive? So certainly, we should be allowed to, uh, to, to delay burial in order to, because this is definitely Kvoidoi. Kvoidoi is, we're going to keep you above ground because we don't know. And he quoted the famous teaching, Okay. This is the first source that he brought in this, uh, in, in, in this regard. Now, here he has to deal with a problem, however. What's the problem? The problem is, if he's right, then why is there no mention of this in Judaic sources, going back to the beginning? They say you could delay for a Oren. They say you could delay for Tachrichin. They say you could delay for Mekoinenois. Why didn't they say you could delay to determine if the guy's alive or not? So he realizes that he has this problem. So what does he answer? He quotes a fascinating teaching from Maseches Smachis. Maseches Smachis is one of these Nesachtas that are printed in our Gemaras after, uh, in the end of Nezikin. They have a whole bunch of these small Nesachtas Ketanais, they're called. It's not entirely clear when they were written, but I can tell you this. The Rishonim are, talk about them and quote them as if they're teachings from the Tanoim. The Mashal, the Ramban, quotes from Nesachtas Smachis all the time. And he always says, Tanya and Tanu Rabbanon, he's using those uh, types of Lashonis. It's treated as the level of Brisa, basically. That's the way it's, uh, it's treated. Smachis is a euphemism. It's talking about Avelos, Avel. It's talking about Avel. And so as a euphemism, it's called Maseches Smachis. And you have over there a very interesting teaching. It says as follows. After a person passes away, we go to the cemetery and we visit the dead for three days. You don't have to worry that this is a practice from the Moirim, we know there's certain practices from 
that's connected with Havayi Zara that a Yid's not allowed to do. Chazal often called this Darche Amoyri. Don't worry. And a lot of it had to do with talking to the dead and raising the dead and communicating with the dead, a whole bunch of issues. Don't worry. You're allowed to go to the Beis HaKadosh for three days and uh, you don't have to worry about anything Darche Amoyri. Then, Meseches Machas has a fascinating story. Maisa once happened. Shepoktu Echad. They went to visit someone. V'choya, and he lived, Esrin v'chamishoshanim, for 25 years, and then he died. In other words, what are they saying? It's saying that once, during this uh, visitation, they found the guy alive. They thought he was dead. They had buried him, and they found him alive, and he lived for 25 years. And then it adds, and then he died. That's a very interesting haisafa. I'm not entirely sure why it needed to add that. Acher, then there was another maizah, v'hoilid heibonim, and the person had five children, and then died. Okay, some Gersas have this as one story, not two stories. That it was one person, he lived for 25 years, he had five children, and he died. The Torah, when he quotes this, has it as one story. But the bottom line is, what do you see from here? You see from here that um, they went, and they were able to get the guy out. So now we have to understand, how, what the, when someone's buried seven feet under the ground, or however many feet it is under the ground, this is not really shaykh. So there's a Prisha. The Prisha wrote a commentary to the Torah. And the Prisha explains, this made sense being mayhem. In the days of the Tanoim, why? In the days of the Tanoim, they didn't do Kfura and Karka the way we do it today. They did Kfura and Kuchin. There's a number of Mishnayis that talk about this. Kuchin basically would, these would be hollowed out caves or underground chambers basically. And there would be, you would kind of walk into a room and then there'd be like shelves on the right and shelves on the left and they would put the coffins there. And so, and when a person is buried in that situation, yeah, a person could walk right up to the coffin. And so this made sense in that matzav, this could happen, that a person could be alive, and they go and they visit. And this is what Masech HaSmachis is saying, that that's why they visited. Why did they visit for those three days? Is in case this type of thing happens. So says this Reb Moshe, that, that, you want to know why Chazal didn't mention it? They didn't need to mention it. Why? Because in those days they used to bury in kuchin. In these, uh, in English, the word is catacombs. You have them other societies as well. They buried in catacombs. They used to bury in catacombs, and because they buried in catacombs, it was easy access. Because it was easy access, the taka would go once a day for three days. They'll go to check out the situation, and if something happened, as we saw happen here, then they would take them out. So that's why Chazal never said that you're going to be mailing as hames for this purpose. You didn't need to be mailing as hames for this purpose because you had another solution. So therefore, they only included the other examples. But now comes this Reb Moshe and says, now that we're living in a new world, we're for many centuries already. We haven't been burying in, in, in uh, catacombs and we're burying in the ground. So once you're putting the person in the ground, it's over. There's no getting the person out. You're not going to have the solution. And so therefore, it makes sense for us to say that we should leave the bodies above ground for three days. This is what Reb Moshe has said. So, so far, he said two things. Number one, he brought a raya. That if we're mailing for COVID, Allah has come vakama first bikuach nefesh. And he said, I, why wasn't it mentioned earlier by Chazal? It wasn't mentioned earlier by Chazal because they had a different solution that we no longer have today. Then he goes further, this Ramosha. He goes further and says, You know why we should really take this uh, seriously? Because I'll show you another, I'll show you from Chazal, the Chazal or Choshish, that we don't know how to diagnose death. Where do we see that? So let's read a little from number nine. He says, All uh, doctors today 
they all testify and they say, they don't really know how to tell, how to diagnose death. What do they say? You have to wait till decomposition sets in. That's what the doctors say. And it seems that Chazal are maskimim b'dover hazayim Chazal agreed with this. Why? First of all, first of all, you see in this story of Meseches Maches that the person Taka came back alive. Either one person or two people came back alive. So you see the Chazal are concerned about it. And that's why they documented there that there was a minute to go for three days. So we see the Chazal have the same concern. Then he said, and there's also another teaching in Meseches Nida Da Samachtas What's the teaching of Meseches Nida Da Samachtas? It says as follows. A small introduction on Tumah and Tara. There's different types of Tumah. There's small, different types of Tumah. Everyone knows Tmei Meis, that's one type of Tumah. Then we also know there's a Tame of when there's a Tumah that comes from bodily emissions. A Zav for a male, a Zava for a female, Nida for a female, Yeledes is also a female, a Mitzayra, that could be a male or a female, these also include Tumah. The dinim of how the Tumah works and how they're Metama, other things, is not the same in all these cases. Which is why we have so many dinim on Tumah and Tara, because there's, there's a lot of nuance. There are certain Chumras that are involved in Tumas Zav, Zava, Nida, Yeledes, and Mitzayra over Tumas Meis. We're not going to get into now, but certain Tumas where it's more Chumra there. Now, comes along, comes along the Mishnah and says as follows, Hazav, Vazava, Vanida, Vayeledes, Vamitzayra, Shemesu, they die. So now, really, the Tumas should become a little more Kal. Because now they're Tamei Meis, they died. They're no leader. It's not a Zav anymore. You can't be a Zav when you're dead. You can't be a Metzayra when you're dead. Right? So really, the Dinim should change, and all the Dinim of Tzmei Meis should apply here, and none of the Dinim of Zav and Zava and Nida should apply here, which again, some of them are a little more Chomer. It's not a get which ones. Says the Mishnah, guess what? The Tamin, it has the Tamin Bemasa, which for our purposes, we're going to say, it has the higher level of Tumah, the more strict level of Tumah, until decomposition sets in. So in other words, we don't look at the Zav and say, oh, you died, so now you're no longer a Zav, now you're only a Tmei Meis. We say, we're treating you as if you're alive until the body starts to decompose. Why? Says the Gemara, my timer. What's the reason? Amarav, Zeir Hashem is Alpha. We're afraid that maybe the person fainted and is going to be mistaken as dead and came into contact with something and we're going to say, oh, he's dead, Tmei Meis. It's easier Tumor. Really, it has the heart of Tumor because the guy is alive and it just fainted. And so therefore, Chazal were so concerned about this that they made a gzera, that Azov and Azov and Nida and Yaletas, even after death, there is the hard, the stricter level of Tumor until you get to decomposition. Says Reb Moshe, says this Reb Moshe, Oy Bazoi, Zaraya, to what I'm saying. Chazal were really choshish for this. We need to be choshish for this. And that's his, and that's his point. And so therefore, you reach his maskana. What was his maskana in this letter that he wrote to the community? He wrote, listen, I'm writing a petition for you guys that you should have it your way. We should have it the traditional way. Where we bury Taka, when do we bury? Right away. And I'm asking for special permission that we're going to have a doctor. And because it's a doctor who's diagnosing the death, so therefore the chances of a problem go way down. Hopefully the Duke of Mecklenburg is going to be okay with this. However, if he doesn't agree, so then look at the Lashen he says here. What's he saying here? He's not saying, so then we'll make up shara. He's actually saying, if he doesn't agree, then let's go back to do what the Tanayim did. Let's do, 
which is what? Let's build in the base Akvaris, we'll build a cave. We'll do the Tara over there the way the meaning is. We'll leave them unburied for three days and then we'll do the Kvura. And then he says, go stronger. I think the Zaladaiti, it's a choival call hakilis haktoshes. All of the Jewish communities, Jews in Germany, refer to or the kilis as kilis kadosh meant Jewish community. Shaloi losses medarche akadmoinim zal yaminu smoil. Don't leave what the Tanaim did. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. So, in other words, although it started off as we want to keep the tradition the way we have it, we want to keep the minig the way we have it, and I'm going to write a petition to help you guys out. Right? Oh, and by the way, if not, you could get away with, with this other thing because I found Hatayim. In fact, he took this, these Hatayim, this Ramosha, and he's saying that actually he's showing that he prefers that. He likes that better. He's trusting the doctors that he, we quoted earlier. He's like, yeah, Chazal agree with the doctors. And so therefore he's like, let's go back to the true tradition. The true t- tradition is to really be concerned about this and worried about this. And this is what he wants to do. And then he signs his name. What's his name? His name is the Moshe Midesau, Moshe of Dessau. Who's Moshe of Dessau? Moshe of Dessau, you know, as Moses Mendelssohn. As Moses Mendelssohn. Why is he called Moshe of Dessau? Because he was born in Dessau. Later he moved, made his way to Berlin. And here, what a lot of people don't know about him is his the rabbinic correspondence that he was able to have. And him writing to the Yavits very respectfully. And the Yavits writing to him in very, very respectful terms that we saw before, and all these types of terms. So this is very interesting that the, we have this taka uh, from the Yavitz. You could do a whole class just on how Gdoli Yisrael were, uh, had a, how were they Mesiachis to Moses Mendelssohn. You could do it as Gdoli Yisrael in his generation, and the next generation, chsidim, nachsidim, it's a fascinating thing because it's not always the same in every place. I think you could generalize and say that it is true that during his time, there were many, there were many who actually uh, had good relationships with him and respected him. And later on, this type, this kind of thing changed. There's actually an interesting expression of this in a in a sefer chsidus, in a bichol chsidus. If you open up. You'll see in the back there's Hoysophis. The Hoysophis in the back, they have Maimorim. Now, this, they have a Ksav, it's in the Rebbe's library here, a certain Ksav. They're not sure what it is. The Rebbe spoke about this Ksav a few times. Not sure, is it from the Rebbe Rashab? It's not, definitely not the Rebbe Rashab's handwriting. It's a Chassid's handwriting. But is it the Chassid writing what the Rebbe Rashab said? So some parts it sounds, yeah. Some parts it sounds no. So the Rebbe said, it's a, it's a ksav from chassidus. We don't know if it's from a Rebbe, if it's from a chassid or whatever. But I think it's definitely the Rebbe quoted from it multiple times. And the way, you know, it's printed in the back of Sefer HaMar and Tafri Sama Gimel. It, it more or less is a, it's a very reliable thing. By definition, it's a very reliable thing. You have over there a line. Uh, it's not a guess so much what he's talking about. But you have a line. I put it here in, the, in uh, footnote 13, in the second paragraph, where he says, Kemoi mad v'tamidov. Yemach Shemoy. Mad is Moshe Dessa. Shekama nefoshes hechtiyoy avur shechziku oisam liyarsharm. He caused harm, causing numerous people to sin, because they thought he and they thought his students were good people. Ach ata sheyotu letarbes rabbe farhesya. Only now, later, especially this is being said around the early 1900s. Now, Amy sheyomay mehem, no one's going to be learning from it. So what do you see from here? You see from here, it's relevant to this conversation because I do think you see this more of uh, a, a few occasions 
where people who were in his door actually spoke positively about him and sometimes used his books and whatever. It's in the later generation. Why? See, this mimer is telling you why. Because it was taka hard to tell. A lot of people say today that he started reform. The MS is he didn't start reform. Reform in the sense that we're going to change what goes on in the shul and how we dive on all those things. There, we don't have any of that reform for him. The reform for him was more cultural. That is the integration of the Jew in society, speaking the language and the dress. That was the thing that, uh, that he focused on. But halachic reform was not something that he touched, except for actually the only case in where he got involved in halachic reform that I know of is this issue here, where he wanted to change the Yonim of Kfura, saying that this is the best way to do it. But this is the exception. This is the outlier. For the, for the most part, this was not what he... Uh, for the most part, this is not what he was doing. And so therefore, what this mimer is saying, understandably, Doyle Yisrael, who lived in that generation, had decent relationships with him, and they, they referred to him respectfully, and that was the problem, that therefore people weren't careful. That's what this mimer is saying. So uh, what we're seeing here from the Yavis actually fits with this Ksavchidis that we're seeing from Tafrei Samakimu. Where did these letters come from? Where did this whole correspondence come from? I said before, it was printed for the first time in the Sheilas Yavitz, yeah, it, was, it was printed in Tavshin Ayin Vav, Ayin Zayin, 2016, 2017, where this was published. Where did they get it from? Because what happened was, during this time, as I alluded to earlier, there was a fever about, about early burial. And you could understand, when people were becoming more enlightened, or more modern, so to speak, this was the kind of the issue between Haredism versus modernism. It was like, what is your opinion about the burial situation? So those who are more like the Maskilim, they would say, oh yeah, we should take this new science into consideration, and we need to change the way we do burial. And the traditionalists were mostly against it, as we're, see as we're seeing here. And this went on for many decades. Again, this is 1772. This went on for many decades after. So in the seven, I think it was 1785. Yeah, 1785, there was a journal that was put out by the Maskilim in Berlin called Hama Asif. And they wanted to continue a conversation about it. So they, Mendelssohn was still alive. I think he died the next year. So they went to his archive. And they found the correspondence between him and the Yavitz. And he gave it to them. And they published it in Hamaase. And that's where it was. That's the only place it was published. Till these Hevra who printed the third volume of Sheila's Yavitz, they, they're not telling you that they got it from there. But that's where they got it. They got it from Hamaase. The, this uh, Haskala uh, newspaper. And this is where they were printing it. Because during this time, again, they wanted to keep up having this conversation. It went on for many decades, many, many decades thereafter. So what did we see? We saw that the Yaivitz basically wrote to Moshe, uh, Mo Mo now we could call him Moses Mendelssohn, right? So he wrote to Moses Mendelssohn and he said, do you have my kuntris? don't have a kuntris. And along the way, Moses Mendelssohn now wrote to the Yaivitz all his attainment, what he sees. So what's the Yaivitz going to respond back? The Yaivitz sends a letter back. To the, uh, the Yavit sends a letter back to Moses Mendelssohn that says, Absolutely not. So let's go through, because there's some good arguments over here. So let's see what the Yavits uh, responded. So again, you'll see the honorifics. Barach Hashem, Beis Tamos Tafkof Lamed Beis, Altana, Shalem Rav, this is L'Oyev Nafshi, Lamed Aleph Nun. I think it's L'Oyev Nafshi. Hakatsin, Hatairani, Hamaskil, Kfoid Harav, Moshe. What does he say? Khalilo Khulinu Lahaher, Laharer, Acher, Minig Avisenu Anafutsin Ba'arba. God forbid to question a minig that all Jews are doing. In Kol Khilufe Minogeyem Bidvanish Ebank Pedo Kolkach. Despite the fact that Jews are so diverse and we have so many different minhogim in areas that don't matter so much. 
Nonetheless, Bezois, in this area, Hushvu, it's the same for Ashkenazim, and Sfardim, Mizrachim, Marovim. We have never heard of any Jewish community that has a different custom regarding Kfuris Meseim. Everyone does what we're doing. So therefore, it is incorrect to say that all of world jury universally and together is making such a fatal error like this. And he quotes a Gemara. Without getting into the context of this Gemara, the thrust of what the Gemara is saying over here is when Jews are doing something, if the masses of Jews are doing something, you can rely on it, it's right, there's a certain, like, almost like a Ruach HaKodesh that's behind it. What's the Yavitz's argument? It's a very interesting argument. His argument is, if you want to come and you want to nitpick a certain minig, we can have that conversation. You want to tell me that all of Yidin, and for many, many centuries, all around the world are doing something so terribly wrong, as to bury prematurely, which means that they're essentially killing some individuals, can't be. It's theologically unacceptable that such a thing could happen. It's an interesting principle. It's not the type of principle you encounter a lot. That's what he's saying. In and of itself, the fact that all of Am Yisrael does this, that is point number one. Point number two that he makes is as follows. He says, I have a little bit of a problem with Yeriah about Kavad Ames. Why? What did Moses Mendelssohn say? Moses Mendelssohn said like this, a Kavachoyman. Ma'adach, we push off burial to bring you Mekainanois, to bring you the family for the funeral. Allah has we should push off burial. There may be your, there may be the deceased is still alive. Says the Yavitz, you have a little bit of a there's a big difference between the two. What's the difference? If I come and say the din is you need a bury right away. Oh, here is a case, here is a case when we don't have tachrichin. Okay, so I don't delay. So then that's an exception to the rule. The rule stands. You're making an exception to the rule. If you come and say, we can delay the burial because the family isn't here. No problem. The rule is a rule. You made an exception to the rule. However, what are you doing, Moses Mendelssohn? What you're doing is, you're saying, the rule is not a rule. You always have to do So now you just took a Mishnah and you threw it in the garbage. The Mishnah says, you can't be mailing as Hamas. There are a few exceptions. You're saying that all those exceptions lead you to say, Allah has come, come that maybe the guy's still alive, therefore we're going to bury no one on time. So, what's the, so you now took a Mishnah, you're a Mavakal, an entire Mishnah. And his Lushan is, that's our character. According to you, the Mishnah should have said something else. Not only there's never an Isser, there's always a Chiyuv to be Melina as Hames. So he says, He says, my dear, he must have been a Talmud. You must have made a mistake without realizing. Without realizing. What's interesting is that, um, that Mendelssohn wrote a letter back to the Yavitz defending himself. That letter was not published. Hama'asef didn't publish that letter. I don't know why Hama'asef did Hama'asef people feel that maybe that letter didn't show so good on Mendelssohn or maybe they lost it. I don't know. So that letter, but then the Yavitz responded, to Mendelssohn's response. And from, from the Yavitz's response, you can kind of guess a little what's going on over there. And the Yavitz is writing to him, why do you get offended about what I wrote? I gave you a ladder to climb down on. I told you that, man, you made a shkia. I didn't say that you had malintent or anything. I said you made it, and that you did it quickly. In other words, you know, we, if we don't focus and we, we don't study something comprehensively, we make a mistake. So I wrote that. So why are you getting upset at me? So it's an interesting, interesting dynamic that was going on over there. 
Okay, so so far, the Yaivitz has two points. Number one, if Jews are universally doing this, it must be right. Number two, you cannot bring me your Kalva Choymer from Tachrichin and people to come to the funeral because those are exceptions to the rule, whereas you want to abolish the entire rule. Okay. Yeah, the Yavitz's second, the Yavitz's response to Mendelssohn's response is printed in the Hama'asef, yeah. Hama'asef was targeting the Haskala people in Germany. I'm sorry, I don't know enough about the nature of the paper. Okay, so now we come to the next thing. Now, the Yavitz's next point is going to be, you should know that we cannot follow these doctors. Why? Because the doctors are contradicting Torah. Read it. His Lushen is, the Yavit says, You're quoting science. We cannot pay them any attention. When it comes to matters that are clearly paskined in Torah, we don't look to the scientists. He us, if you do, then now you're taking out the very foundations of Yiddishkeit when you start taking a din, erasing a din in Torah because of the doctors. Do not look at these non-Jewish uh, uh, physicians. What does the Yavitz mean over here? You're going against the din in Torah. What does he mean? What he means here uh, is as follows. He quotes this. He quotes these teachings. He's going to argue that if you look in the Gemara, you see in the Gemara clearly a definition of death. An undisputed definition of death in the Gemara. So let's see. The Mishnah in Yuma says as follows in Perek Chetz. If someone had a building uh, fall on them, a structure fell on them. We don't know. Is he there? Maybe he made it out. Maybe he already passed away. Nonetheless, at Shabbos, even though it's a Suffolk, we go digging through the debris in order to find this person. In other words, Pikuach Nefesh, we violate Shabbos not only when we're sure we're saving a life, even if we're not sure we're saving a life, we're Mechalal Shabbos. If you find him alive, then you continue schlepping him out. You find a yet alive, take him out of the debris. In Mace, what happens if you find him and he's dead? You're not allowed to take him out on Shabbos. Although we care very much about Kavad Mace, and so we don't want to leave a body in debris, but Shabbos, we don't mess with Shabbos. Only for Pikuach Nefesh, but not for Kavad Mace, so you leave the body there in the debris, you come back after Shabbos to take it away. So in other words, according to halacha, it's important to know if the person's alive or dead. Because there's a huge difference in din. If he's alive, you're taking him out. If he's dead, you're leaving him there. So the Gemara, the Brisa, discusses this. The Gemara in Yuma, the hey, Ahmed Aleph, gets into the discussion of how do you know if this person is alive or not. You're checking on the body to see if this person is alive. Where do you check? So the first shit that says, you check the nose. In other words, the old traditional way, you see if the person is breathing, if you see the person isn't breathing, then you know the person is dead. The Yeshoimrim, there is a Machalikas, there's another view that says, Adliboy, you check for circulation, you check if there's a heartbeat. In other words, you're checking for the pulse. Okay. Comes Rav Papa and says as follows. The whole debate over here, where one says, check the heart, the other says, check the nose, is only talking about when you come across someone's shoes, and then you continue digging, and you come across his knees, and then you reach the midsection, and now you reach the heart. You check the heart, there's no heartbeat. So now the question is, do you go further or not? The second shit that says, stop. You check the heart, there's no heartbeat. It's done, it's over. The first shit that says, no, it's not enough. You have to continue going all the way till you reach the nostrils to check the breath. 
But if you come across the guy's yarmulke first, and then you continue going down, and you come across the nose, and you check the nose, and there's no breathing. Even the badak leyat choit might want to check the person's breathing, respiration. You don't go further. Why? Because we have a pasuk. Whoever has the neshama of life in his face, there's a pasuk by the mabul that any living being passed away. Now. The way the Torah chose to express living being is nishmas ruachayim ba'apav. Something about the neshama beating in the face, the, the, the neshama pulsating in the face. So that must be the breathing. And so we have a pasuk that puts breathing on the pedestal. And so therefore, once you check that, you know the person isn't breathing, they're dead. The other shit is whether the circulation is good enough. So how does the Rambam Paskin? Rambapaskins that you're always going to be more machmer in this case. So basically we throw out the position that says you look to the heart. We follow the position that says you look to the nose and the story. That's how uh, we do it. So what do you see from here? What do you see from here? We have a Gemara definition of death. What is a Gemara? Is it decomposition? Absolutely not. Because if it were, then the Tanur it would say, if the body didn't decompose, schlep it out on Shabbos. Because even for a Suffolk we do it. So from the fact that you don't have that, and it says, rather, what do you do? You check for breathing, and if there's no breathing, end of story. It's a raya, the chazal's definition of death is respiration. So what you're saying is asking us to go against uh, Torah. So now, when Torah says, you have to be mechal Shabbos in order to save a life. Oh, we're not sure. Is doing this medicine, is it going to help this patient or not? So what do you do? Torah tells us, you go to the doctors. So there we're happy to trust the doctors. And halak, right? But that's not the issue over here. The issue is it isn't a, a, an area where the Torah, so to speak, gave doctors jurisdiction. Torah gave doctors jurisdiction. Do you need to eat on Kippur or not? We trust the doctors. Do you do Michal Shabbos in this situation or not? We trust the doctors. But on the, to say that the person is alive when Torah says the person is dead, and the story, Torah said the person is dead. So that's what he means here, that the, this is a non-starter. And in his Lashen, he says as follows. Im sheikh miru nefesh, although chazal. We're very machmir when it came to bikuach nefesh. Kenoidaz is known. We don't say, oh, in the majority of cases, you know, when a building falls, there's no survivors, so we're not going to dig through it. We don't do that. And the Gemara even says, another din, if you're digging through the building and you find some people at the top dead. So you say, oh, if we found people here dead, so definitely people lower where there's more pressure, definitely they're dead. No, we don't say that. So we see that we're Mechal Shabbos even for a doubt. Nonetheless, the same rabbis who said that even for a remote chance, we're going to be Mechal Shabbos. Here, but they said, you're only checking for respiration and you're not checking anymore. What does that teach us? If we're dealing with a doctor who doesn't have Torah values, his ideas uh, we cannot accept in this regard. Don't go with him. We're not going to believe these uh, guesswork and these estimations that are being said by doctors. In other words, what's the Yavit saying here? He doesn't really, he's confident that Torah is true. He's also confident that what the doctors are saying, he doesn't believe that it's accurate. He doesn't think that what they're saying is true. All those stories that are being printed in the newspaper about people being buried alive, he doesn't really believe that as being, uh, as being reliable. Okay. But what about that mission, that, that teaching in Mesech Smachais? 
We had a teaching in Masachas Macho. He says, showed us that number one, it's possible. And not only is it possible, that therefore, there was this mimic to go visit the grave for three days. If the Yaivitz is so confident that Chazal knew exactly what it is in terms of respiration, so that whole teaching seems to fall. We have an issue with this teaching Masachas Machais. So what does the Yaivitz answer? The Yaivitz answer is as follows. That teaching is only talking about a very, very unique case. When for whatever reason, someone did something wrong. What does that mean? Where they didn't monitor properly and didn't bring a doctor to check that respiration taka stopped. And let's say they thought the person was dead and there was a riot about to happen or there's a war, right? Sometimes people are buried in a war in, in, in a quick situation. So in those situations, they buried very, very quickly. Without proper examination, because it was a pressing hour, because some historical situation uh, uh, happened. So that's what that was talking about. So then, and only then, is number one, is it possible that a mistake happened? And then, and only then, you have the minute to say, oh, we buried the guy. Maybe it was premature. Are we sure now? Maybe it was, okay, let's go visit for the next three days. Then and only then they did that. Other than that, never happened. In his Lushen, Kishanagu imoy Kishayra. When they do it properly, like the Hebrew Kadisha, and in a time of peace, you see he's indicating that Masech HaSmachis is talking about a rush burial due to war or something like that. So then, then it's a one in a million. And one in a million, guess what? We're not going to count one in a million in Halacha. And he goes on to say, there is a difference between something that happens a little, and something fantastically unusual happens. That type of thing, that one in a million thing, that when it happens, you're like, that's a pella? In halacha, it's considered impossible. We don't need to worry about it. So, is it possible to happen one in a million that a proper person with a person had passed away, and there was a proper examination, and it turned out to be an error? Yeah, it's possible. But it's possible, uh, one in a million, Halacha doesn't take that in consideration. Meseches Machais wasn't talking about that. That was talking about someone who was built in haste, buried in haste, Lamashal, because it was a war. That's, uh, and that's when you had this meaning of going for, uh, for, for three days when, uh, when it was Shaykh. So maybe he would say, yeah, if you, if you have a, a case theoretically today, we shouldn't have cases like that today. We don't have cases like that today. The Herakadisha is always careful. That's his point. Now, the Chsam Soifer lived a generation later. And the Chassam Soifer was still dealing with this issue well in the 1800s, as I said before, because the fever and anxiety about this issue began in the late 1700s and lasted through the entirety of the 19th century. Through the entirety of the 19th century. And so therefore the Chassam Soifer also got involved in this discussion. And he points out in his tshuva on this subject, and he covers many of the same points that the Yavitz does. By the way, he knows about the Yavitz. And he's like, the Yavitz wrote... How does he know the Yavitz? He, he says, I saw it in the Hamase. He writes, I saw it in the Hamase. Okay, so the Chassam Soifer, uh, what he says is as follows. You know, I have a, Moses Mendelssohn is trying to turn to this Mesechas Machis, who you visit for three days, and he's arguing that this was done as a takana to make sure that people weren't buried alive. That's like a pretty bad takana. I mean, if, if you're going there, 
you're going there at 1 o'clock p.m., like, and you're there, hi, no, nothing, and you leave. That's, if you're really concerned about this, you need to hire someone, like they were doing in Germany at the time. You need to leave him there the entire time. She says, I don't really understand how this would make, if there was a real shash, this is not a real takana. This doesn't really make sense as a, as a, as a valid takana. How is it going to help to visit him once a day? So therefore, the truth is, is this what this story that happened was a once in a millennium story. It's not even miuta de miuta. And he gives an example. Just like the story in the Gemara that says, So it happened? Yeah, it happened. But no one is basing any halachas off that story. Because in the Lashon of the Yaivitz, it was Hudavar Pele. In the, in the Lashon of, uh, of, uh, of the Chsam Seifer, this is one in, once in a millennium. And therefore, When it comes to, it's a 1% chance, and it's a small chance, we're going to take the person to the hospital, all that. Why? That's still normal. Even if it's a small chance, it's normal. That's not Choyni Amagel falling asleep for 70 years. Okay, so how does he touch Meseches Machis? The Yavitz told us Meseches Machis is talking about a unique case. What's the case? When there was a war, and so they buried someone in haste, so then you have this minute to go check out for three days. But according to the Chsam Soifer, the Chsam Soifer like, even questioned it. Going once in three days doesn't make any sense. So how does the Chsam Soifer understand what's going on in Meseches Machis? So he goes on to say, this is not Meseches Machis. Go back to the teaching. If you go back to the teaching, it's text 7, when it says, it's not, it sounds like it's saying, we all have the minig to go out. This is the right thing to do. That's not how you read it. That's not how you read it. Rather, you have like this. There are many things you're not allowed to do because it's dark. A lot to do with talking to the dead and communicating with the dead is usr. What's the gather of dark? Very often, the gather in halacha is, it's a custom. And you ask the guy, why are you doing this? What practical benefit? Like, oh, it's true. we don't know. Then you have to be very, very worried about that because then it probably has to do with demons and with Avedazara and with things that we don't. So, therefore, that's a chaykla Avedazara you're not allowed to do. Says the Chsam Soifer, the tells you if you're a nudnik and you want to go to the base Hakvaris because you think that there's a chance that the guy is still alive and you're worried maybe it's Dark Amoidi, it's not Dark Amoidi. Why? Because there is something practical. What's practical? What's practical is that once in a thousand years, a person's going to be alive. So because once in a thousand years, a person's going to be alive, that's enough to make it. So now it's mutter. Should you do it? Of course not. It makes no sense. But if you're a nudnik, and you really want to do it, so then Meseches Machis is telling you that you're allowed to do it. It's not that mighty. Why? Because that once in a millennium story is enough to make it ice. Because you have enough of a, uh, of a reason, uh, enough of a reason to do it. And his lashon is, Going and sleeping by the dead and hanging out by the dead is not allowed. And should be forbidden. Vahamar, so Mesechas Machis tells you, Why? Because one dude found a relative who was alive. 
In Cain, Hamavaker Mesoi, someone who does this ain't litlois but my I'm waiting kechoyk balitam. It's not that he's doing something irrational, makes no sense. Kiesh litlois sheroitz alachus ula yichekrave. This is what he's thinking. Maybe the guy's alive. Avo bishu rachik o muksam in adas, even though it's very far removed from any logic. But that's what it is. It's a little different. Again, the yaivitz explained that it's saying this is something we should do in very narrow circumstances that have no application today. Chassam Soifer is saying, no, you're reading it wrong. It's not something we should do. It's something that one is allowed to do. It's not Tarkei but the zero recommendation uh, for doing this. What about the Din of Zav? We saw over there that we treat the Zav with the stricter Tumah of Zav until decomposition sets in. Why? We're like, oh, maybe the person is alive and he was diagnosed as dead, and so therefore we treat him halachically as if he's alive, zov, nida, all those things. So both the Yavis and the Chassam Soifer, they both say the same answer. They basically say as follows. There are cases when you don't have experts in the room, when you don't have a Hebra Kaddisha, and someone faints, and there's an Alta Baba or an Alta Zayda is there, they say, oh, the person has died. Good. So everyone says, oh, the person died. Now that person came into contact, that mace came into contact with something. And it turns out that the person was misdiagnosed because Alta Baba and Alta Zayda, the fetish could misdiagnose someone for death. So in those cases, you have a problem. Why? Because the kefilta fish got into contact with that person and we're going to say, oh, no, it's me mace. So it's a, it's a lesser homer type of tumor and you don't have to worry about the tumor zava and the tum- because, because the person's dead. No, the person wasn't dead. So it's really only about those cases. However, Chazal didn't want to stop being make look in between cases. So therefore they said, even if you have experts, still we're going to wait for this issue, we're going to wait for decomposition. Why? Because we're afraid of the non-experts in those unique cases. That's the way, basically the way they uh, ex- uh, explain this. And then the Yaivitz has a very powerful point. He says, if Moses Mendelssohn is right, then how could it be that tumor, you sometimes you have, tumor came into contact with a, with a dead body. And we say, oh, came into contact with Tmei Mace. Now you need to burn it. When maybe the guy's alive. Toyota, you, you're telling me Toyota is chayshish to maybe the guy's alive. So maybe the so now why are you going to burn this, uh, this truma? It's a suffix. And why, why is there going to be all these punishments and these carbonates and all that? Is a riot. Toyota doesn't regard. We say the guy's dead, the guy's considered dead. So therefore, it's only in this, due to this unique circumstance that... Uh, that we have this exception in, in this way. This pretty much sums up the tshuva, the response that the Yaivitz uh, did over here. What was the end of the story? The end of the story was the Duke received Moses Mendelssohn's uh, tshur, um, uh, petition. And he, what did his petition say? As I said before, it said, let the Jews do it as they're going to do it. And see, I guess he received the Yaivitz's booklet as well, or maybe someone summarized its content because it was written in Hebrew. Maybe someone summarized its content for him. And he said, okay, no problem. As long as you have a physician who's going to make sure, who signs the death, death certificate, no problem. The Yidin can continue doing uh, what, uh, uh, what they're uh, doing. Now, a few more artists before, to wrap this up. Number one, Mendelssohn's proposal was that if he doesn't accept, then what you should do is, in the base HaKvaris, you should build a cave, do the Tara, let it sit there for three days. And the Yaivitz and Chassam Sefer say, it's not allowed. Why? Because you can't delay Kfura for this type of purpose for three days. The MS is that if what he was talking about, he didn't say this, 
But if he was talking about a cave that would take a bee underground, and if the guf would be sitting on ground, then according to halacha, that counts already as kfur. And so that wouldn't have been opposed to halacha. Why am I saying this? Without too much detail, there was an issue in Cincinnati in the beginning of the, 20, the late 1890s where medical students who were studying in Cincinnati would dig up bodies and bring it to the medical school in order to do anatomy studies, in order to do dissection. They took Yiddish bodies. And so the Rabbanim wanted to do something. So they turned to Rabbanim in Europe and they said, is it okay if we build a house to keep the bodies and we'll wait till summer when the students leave, go summer vacation, and then we'll bury. The Rabbanim said, no, you can't delay for months like that. But if you build, this is what Rabbi Shenfeld wrote a tshuva, if you build this crypt underground and the mason are going to be sitting on karka, so yeah, even if the walls are round, are cinder blocks, and there's a roof and all that, it's beseder. So it just happens to be interesting that there could have been, one second, there could have been a halachic way dealing with it. But Mendelssohn didn't say that. He didn't get into that. He didn't suggest that. He just mentioned you'll build something. So he didn't get into that. A few more things. Another point, this whole drama, this whole story, really pits science, what the science of the day was saying against Torah. It's an issue that comes up again and again. So when you want, we want to think about this issue, this is definitely a good case study to revisit, to go back and to see the different positions on this matter. Next point, next point. What was the end of the story in terms of this overall feel, fear? So according to this book, according to Badenson in this book called Buried Alive, who did the research, an academic scholar in Wales, he says that all of, uh, there, you had these uh, Leichenhuisen, so how many people woke up in a Leichenhuis? For 100 years you had this. Answer, not one. Not one. There never was a person who rang the bell in the Leichenhuis. And likewise, in many of the stories in the newspapers of a thing, he did a little hakiru beer, and it turns out, So did it never happen? No one should sit here and say it never happened. The Rabbanim themselves said they think it could happen. It will happen once in a thousand years. So that derech pele. So it could happen. But the idea that this was rampant in the 1700s or in the 1800s, that this was a societal problem, um, turned out to actually be uh, false, which is why eventually the doctors moved away from that. And back in the 20th century, they went back. Respiration and circulation is death. Until brain death. Brain death. What's interesting about brain death is that it's like the opposite of this whole story. Because this whole story, they came, the Goyim came to the Yidin and said, you're diagnosing death too early. With brain death, it's a big debate in halacha. But if you go to the Rabbanim, they don't accept it as death. Essentially, what, the, what they're saying is, you're diagnosing death too late. Really, the person has died earlier because the person is brain dead. That's a topic with asthma. Maybe we'll revisit it at another time. But these chuvas, the Chsam and the Yavits, come into that discussion. The brain death discussion, these chuvas are important for that. Finally, I'll conclude with my clerical hat on and say, the whole concern here during this whole century was about being buried alive. That someone else may bury you alive. So the MS is that we, during our lifetimes, we need to make sure that we don't bury ourselves alive. Right? In other words, you know, when we throw dirt on ourselves and we live an ineffective, when we have an ineffective day, then in a sense we're burying ourselves alive. So that's the type of thing that is within our control. That's something we could be better at in Chodesh Elul.